Listen, the devil doesn't own anything in the Northwest. No, I, I thought my Bible said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. And I thought that's what the Bible said. I know you're too busy watching CNN and Fox News to read the Bible, but at least my Bible says something different. Oh, this is the day that the Lord's made. And I'm going to use every opportunity to get people into the church so that they can have a fun time and then hopefully meet somebody who talked to them about the gospel. That's what I'm going to do. So you can be mad all you want, but it's not the devil's day. The devil don't own music. He don't own media. He don't own days. He doesn't own holidays. He doesn't own celebrations. He doesn't own styles. He doesn't own, he don't own anything. He's the father of lies. All he does is manipulate, lie, and try to do cheap copies of what God does. No, God created the days. He hung the stars and the moon and the sky. No, God created that. Now, and the devil tried to prostitute it, but no more, not any longer. The devil doesn't own one square inch of this city. So that's the type of Christians we're going to be in this season. And you can be a defeated believer and have a real big view of the enemy, and, you know, but that's not how I'm going to live. It's for me and my house. We're going to magnify the Lord and in doing so, multiply his benefit in and through our lives. And so that's just, that's, just, that's just who we're going to be because we don't got any other option. You can attend a defeated church, but this isn't one of them. You can be around defeated believers, but not in this house. Because <laughs> our eyes are set on the hills where our hope comes from, because our hope comes from the Lord. So that's just who we're going to be in this season. Because we don't have any other options. <laughs> defeated, powerless Christianity has done a great disservice to the West. No more. Not any longer. <laughs> oh, I'm turned up this morning. Listen, when you need a miracle, you ain't looking to a dead church. You're looking to an alive church. When you need God to do something in your life, you're not looking for a defeated believer, but a believer who's grabbed a hold of the hem of his garment. I didn't say perfect. I said committed to the lordship and the power that he provides. <laughs> now, the Holy Spirit wants his church back, so we're going to give it to him because it was his to begin with. The devil doesn't own anything. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to break every agreement. I'm going to break every agreement people made in their minds with the enemy. For this reason, the Son of God was made manifest, to destroy the works of darkness. That's how I want you to feel when you rally here on Sunday morning. I want you to feel like, yeah, we destroyed some things. It was a little dangerous. I almost got hit in the altar. We, yeah, we destroyed some things. No, we broke some chains and broke some bondage and broke some limitations and broke off some false ceilings and broke off some false words. Well, no, we broke some stuff today. No, we're destroying some things in the Northwest because people through agreement have allowed the enemy to build false monuments, false idols, false words. No, we're, we are breaking agreement with what the enemy has said about the Northwest. No, I don't need that lack of faith here. Oh, the Northwest is too hard. No, nothing's too hard for him. Oh, no, the Northwest already missed it. No, it didn't. No, I don't think the Church of God can survive in this COVID, this pandemic, this politics. No, there's no king but Jesus. There's no authority like Jesus. There's no room I've ever walked into where he's not already seated on high in heavenly places. No, we are demolishing every argument and high thought that comes against the kingship and rulership of Jesus Christ. No, you should, you should feel a little rattled this morning. You, 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 should, you should feel a little disturbed this morning. You should feel a little, I, this is a little dangerous. I feel like I'm running into traffic and it just feels, it feels a little discombobulated. No, we are not playing.
saying safe church because lives hang in the balance. This counts for eternity. We are destroying works of darkness in the Northwest. This Sunday ought to be the absolute most wild day of your week. We're going to season of miracles. If you don't believe it, just look at the Mariners. They're about to make the playoffs. There ain't nothing too hard for God. Come on. 20 years, baby. That's it. Let me preach. Luke 2. At Luke 2, I want to tell you a story of Jesus because I think it's important. In your life, I, I think it's important that I, I love Luke because he's the church historian. He's a doctor. He's a Gentile. He writes about Jesus in a way that's forensic. He includes details that other people don't. And I love the story that's told in Luke 2. It tells us something key about the life of Jesus. Because as he was, so are we. And in this world, we are living, breathing ambassadors of another kingdom. And so the more that we understand about the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, and the kingdom of Jesus the better we are in replicating that type of stuff in this type of place. So I want to tell you the story of Jesus. Now Luke 2, the Bible says this. So when Mary and Joseph, starting in verse 39, so when Mary and Joseph had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And Jesus grew. And Jesus grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let me ask you a question this morning, friend. If even Jesus had to grow, then what is your excuse? If even Jesus had to grow, then what is my excuse? Sometimes we have this over-deified view of Christ. Like he comes out of the womb, all dressed proper with a halo, doing miracles. And he was always God and is always God. But he was also fully man. And he submitted himself to the natural process of growth and maturation for your benefit and for mine. In a way that we could look at his life and go, as he was, so are we. And the Bible says in Luke 2, and starting in verse 40, that even Jesus grew. That word grow in the Greek means this, to undergo significant development to be transformed, to advance, increase, and change for the better. Here's my favorite definition. To lengthen out by hammering. If growth was easy, everybody would do it, and yet most people don't. Because it's not easy, and it doesn't feel good. And most of the time, it feels like getting beat with a hammer and being lengthened out. <laughs> you know, people love impartation more than they love development. Because impartation, you get to receive what somebody else has developed. But can I tell you, real growth and real transformation happens in your life when you take the breakthrough of the altar and you marry it to the follow-through of Monday through Saturday. And see, that's what we're being invited into in this season. It's not just momentary breakthrough in a charged environment. It's consistent daily follow-through by which that breakthrough turns into life-altering maturity and developments. Now watch, because it gets better. 
in the spiritual realm, there's only two options. We are either advancing or we are retreating. Hear me. You are not built to hold ground. You were built to take ground. And some of us have become bored in our faith because we're occupying instead of developing. We're living in neutral instead of advancing. We are simply existing instead of being continually transformed. If you're not growing, you're dying. Friend, growth isn't a good idea. It's what we owe God and what we owe others as a result of our salvation. No, growth is what I owe this church. That's why even now I'm still in a PhD program. I'm growing and I'm learning and developing because the best way that I honor you is by growing me. It's actually what I owe God in response to salvation as well because it was a free gift. But can I tell you, even free gifts, their development is costly. That's why when Jesus is making the call to discipleship, he says, if any man desire to follow me, tell him to pick up his cross, be my disciple and follow me. No, the gift is free. It's not based on your work. It's based on his work. No, the gift is free, but the development, it will cost you everything. And I think in an attempt to draw crowds, oftentimes in the Western church, we have downplayed the cost of following Jesus. No, this costs you everything. It costs you your time, your money, your attention, your dignity, your affiliation, your partisanship. It costs you everything. But Jesus didn't promise you an easy life, but a worthwhile life. It's worth it to follow Jesus. And here's what we're living for. Well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and faithful pastor, leader, teacher, apostle, prophet, evangelist, business owner, CEO, mom, dad. No, no, no. Well done, good and faithful servant. And when you position your heart to receive the affirmation of the one that you worship, then you are not moved by what the crowds call you when they don't agree with you. Oh, well, they're going to call me a hater. Okay. They're going to disagree and be upset. They already are. But I'm not living for their affirmation. I'm living for his. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, there's a mandate on your life to grow. Watch. Colossians 1 and 10. Be fruitful in every good work and increase or grow in the knowledge of God. Colossians 2 and 19. From whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Acts 19 and 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. 2 Corinthians 9 and 10, God gives seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. 2 Corinthians 10 and 15, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. 2 Peter 3 and 18, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what I found. What people want is a church to do everything for them without requiring anything of them. People want a great pastor until he expects them to be great Christians. Now here's the deal. There's a heavenly mandate on your life to grow. And if you don't engage with the mandate for personal growth, you will often feel left behind by a church that is responding to the mandate for corporate growth. <laughs> Scripture says this, to the increase of his kingdom and his government, there is no end. People want to be a kingdom church, but they don't want to respond to the mandate to grow. No, you're not a part of a kingdom church until there is growth, both in depth and in width. Can I tell you, sometimes the Lord takes you through deepening seasons, and sometimes he takes you through widening seasons because he knows you need both. In order to grow tall, you must first grow deep. And we want the reverse of what Jesus had. 
Jesus had 30 years of private development for three and a half years of public ministry, but it changed the world. And we want 14 seconds from a YouTube clip and then 45 years of fame and money. Can I tell you, if you find yourself in the wilderness, if you find yourself in waiting, if you find yourself in hiddenness, guess what? You're in really good company because the greater the development, the greater the destiny. No, I'm not hitting fast forward on development because we need it and we never graduate out of it. Your destiny isn't the end of your development. It's simply the next stage that your development takes you to. No, we are lifelong, committed, developing disciples of King Jesus. You don't get a degree and finish your discipleship. You don't receive a title from a church and then end your discipleship. No, when you signed up to say yes to Jesus, what you made was a daily choice to pick up your cross and follow him. For if a man desires to save his life, he will lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake, he will find it. Here's the deal. There's a mandate on your life for growth. This church, I want you to think about it like a greenhouse and you and I are plants, and the environment is right, and the ingredients are right, and the sunlight is right, and we've got a great gardener named Jesus. But the initiative to grow is on us. What I found is people think about growth the same way that they think about prophecy. Like if I get a prophetic word from somebody, regardless of what I do, God will just magically accomplish it on his behalf. Can I tell you something? Prophecy is an invitation into obedience. If I were to give you a word today and say, hey, friend, I see something over your life. The Lord says he's raising you up as a musician and he's going to give you a voice to lead worship, so on and so forth. And you just thought, well, man, I hope God just drops that off on my doorstep like a leprechaun with a pot of gold. I just, Lord, I just received. Thank you. No, my prophetic word over your life was an invitation for you to Google voice lessons. It was an invitation for you to Google how to play the piano. It wasn't a guarantee that God was magically going to electric, electric shock talent into your life. No, prophecy is an invitation into obedience. It's not a guarantee of an outcome. That's the same way we think about growth. No, it's an invitation into obedience. I don't have the option not to grow. Because when I signed up to follow Jesus, I said, not my will, but your will be done. Even Jesus grew. And if he grew, then what's our excuse? People say this. I hear all sorts of things as a pastor. People say this. Watch. I can't make friends. Have you tried being friendly? I'm happy to be at church. Did you tell your face? (laughs) There's too many people. You tried coming to the noon service? I missed the place where everybody knew my name. How many names have you learned? I don't feel like I can grow. Are you hungry? Sometimes we make it the responsibility of the pastor to do all the spiritual work for us. Hoping to, by osmosis, magically develop based on somebody else's due diligence. We want other people to do the work and then have someone to blame when it doesn't go well. But watch what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Can I tell you, friend, the greatest threat to the church is not progressivism. It's not culture. 
It's not liberals. It's not Republicans. The greatest threat to the church is worldly Christians who should be on milk, but they're still, should be on meat, but they're still drinking milk. That's what Paul says. He says, I would love to give you more, but you ain't ready for it. I would love to move beyond the elementary principles of the faith to something more, but you're not ready for it. I'd love to give you something. He's writing the church in court. He's writing believers. They have Jesus in their heart, but the world in their mind. Watch. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Hear me. Watch the principle at play. Those who work develop an appetite to eat. Those who wish for others to work on their behalf can only handle milk. There's a difference between can't work and won't work. And when you engage in the work of growth, you find yourself being transformed in the process. Greatest way to work up an appetite? Start working. Start developing. Start helping. Start serving. And then all of a sudden you go, man, I am more hungry than I recognized. And all of a sudden growth begins to matriculate and develop in your life. It's not just that Jesus grew, but watch what scripture says he grew in. Wisdom and grace. What's the reason to grow in grace and wisdom? Well, because it's likely that God is going to lead you into a season where you're going to need both in your life. And God won't ever take you into a season of testing without first placing you in an incubator of development. Knowledge is knowing what to say. Watch. Wisdom is knowing whether or not to say it. Knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use a gun. Knowledge is knowing how to have children. Wisdom is knowing how to raise children. Knowledge recognizes a problem, but wisdom knows how to fix it. For wisdom is the application of knowledge. Proverbs 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. Through wisdom a house is built. My people are destroyed from a lack of vision or wisdom or knowledge. Proverbs 23, buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom. Scripture says this in James, if any man lack, let him ask, and the Lord will give liberally and without reproach. <laughs> now, as a church, we're growing in wisdom. The Lord has given us wisdom over these last 18 months to navigate political waters, cultural waters, social waters, financial waters. The Lord has given us wisdom, and we had to grow in it. Now, watch. Scripture doesn't just say he grew in wisdom, but he also grew in grace. Hear me. I don't think grace grows. I don't think wisdom grows. I think we grow. Watch. I think you have the same amount of grace today that you had when you got saved. But what it means to grow in grace is to grow in the wisdom of applying what you already have to your current circumstance. Scripture says this. You've already received everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. No, you've already got it. What you need is the wisdom on how to apply it in your life. It's like having a bank account that you don't know how to access, and then all of a sudden somebody gives you the password. No, you still have the same amount of money you've always had in there, but now all of a sudden you've got access to use it. That's why I tell so many believers we live below the level of our invitation. I've already been invited to sit in heavenly places. I've already been invited to approach the throne of grace in my time of need. I've already been invited to share in his glory. I've already been invited to have his renewed mind, but we live below the level of our invitation and then pray for things we already have no we already have it no we I already have grace I already have favor I already have wisdom I already have knowledge and the more that I grow in it the better I am to apply what has always been there to my current circumstance 
God, I need you to put more grace in my life. I already put the max amount. God, I need more of you. God says back to us, no, I need more of you. I don't think grace grows. I think we grow. I don't think Jesus had more grace at 13 than he had at 12. But I think Jesus grew up in the grace of our Lord and Savior. I think Jesus grew up in the grace that the Father had provided for him. For example, I'm a son of God through faith in Christ. But watch, my sonship isn't increasing or decreasing. It exists as an established fact. But I grow in my sonship by deepening my understanding and application of what it means to be a son of God. I am not more a son of God today than I was when I was six years old and gave my heart to Jesus. But I am better at applying his identity to my life because I have grown up in my sonship. And this is what it means to grow in grace. I'm not going to live in shame because I've grown in grace. I'm not going to live in condemnation because I've grown in grace. I'm not going to live in rejection or abandonment because I've grown in grace. I'm not going to live in insecurity or doubt because I've grown in grace. Now watch verse 41. I'm going quick. Now watch. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. But Mary and Joseph did not know. Now listen, you haven't been raised in church unless you've been forgotten at church by your parents a time or two in life. <laughs> Supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening and asking questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Hear me so clearly. Friend, you were not left behind. You were strategically hidden by God for a season of supernatural development. Some of the greatest growth in your life happens in seasons of separation from the crowd. It looked as if Jesus had been left behind, but instead he had been strategically positioned by the Father in a cauldron of supernatural development. One of the things that you must wage war against in this season is the anxiety that comes from feeling like you've been left behind, like everyone else is zooming past you, like everyone else is living their best life and you're just waiting for yours to begin. No, God has you right where he wants you. He hasn't forgotten about you. Your season is coming. So it's time to stop complaining and start developing because this is your time for growth and that's one of the dangers of social media is we see everybody else's highlights we see where everybody else is going and we feel like when is it my time when is it my time to get married when is my time to get promotion when is it my time to get record when is it my time but my identity doesn't come from being seen by the world but instead by being hidden in Christ no being hidden is one of the best positions you could ever have because if it's on Christ, it's in me. And as I am hidden in him, and his power overshadows my life, then all of a sudden what he walked in, I walk in. And surely goodness and mercy and favor follows me all the days of my life. Please don't compare where you are to where somebody else is. You don't know their journey and you don't know their story. And Jesus warns in the parable of the seed and the sower. He says stuff that come up too quickly, the cares of life choke it out because the roots are shallow. So if God's doing a deep work, just stay there. 
You know, when you get anxiety about God keeping his end of the agreement, you almost always step out of line and create an Ishmael when you should have waited for an Isaac. God must need my help because his promise isn't coming through. God must need my help. God must need not my strategy. Let me help him out here. No, listen, God knows where you're going. And in his grace, he's doing a deep work in your life. Because when you get there, it's important that you can blossom and flourish there. See, a lot of people build things in their gift, but destroy them with their character. Because they prayed for a widening instead of thanking God for a deepening. No, we're growing deep and we're growing wide. But see, God knows the potential of this church. He knows the potential of your life. He knows the potential of your talent. He knows the potential of your gift. And so God in his grace says, let me go deep. Now going deep isn't impressive to any in the crowd. But one of the key parts of your development is breaking your addiction to the approval of the crowd. And so God in his mercy will do things that other people don't even care about because what he's after is your heart. What he's after is your heart. He's after those deep things. Now watch, verse 48, when they saw him, they were amazed. His mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. He said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement. Now watch, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more he will say things to you that you don't understand. One of the most profound things that Jesus ever tells his disciples is you do not know what I am doing now, but later you will. And if you make your understanding the altar that you worship at, you will miss out on development. Well, I don't understand. Why, God, why, 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 why? You know, I, I got a two-year-old who asks why about everything. And it's irritating. But I bet it's even more frustrating for God when we do the same thing. Well, why, why, why me? Why this? Why that? Why, 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 why? Because his ways are not your ways. His thoughts are high above because he sees things that you don't. He has a perspective that you don't. That's why. So I'm going to trust that the one who began my story is going to be faithful to finish my story. And even if I don't understand now, there might be a day later that I will. But I'm going to allow the one who framed the universe to hold my destiny in his hands. I don't understand, but I don't need to because that's not the business that we're in. I'm not in the business of my understanding but instead of receiving a peace that passes my understanding. Then he went down with them and he came to Nazareth. Watch, the Bible says this, he was subject to them. That word subject means to place under, to be submitted to. You know, we don't like talking about submission in our culture because it's become a dirty word. Submission is not, I'm always right and you're always wrong. Submission is not, you must agree with all my preferences and see the world exactly how I see it. Submission is not a domineering spirit that can't ever admit that they're wrong. Because if submission is forced, it's not submission, it's control. Submission is a trust that God has placed people in your life who are seeing things that you aren't and can help you avoid unnecessary pitfalls in your life. I don't think you grow in this life until you submit to something else or someone else. No, we're not free agents. No, we're not self-made. No, we're not independent, autonomous. No, you're part of a community. You're part of a family. And you've got privileges, but you also have responsibilities. 
And the best way that you honor the person you're sitting next to at church is by making a decision. I'm going to grow. I'm not going to blame everybody else. I'm not going to blame my family history. I'm not going to blame mom and dad. I'm not going to give in to poor me. I'm not going to ask why till I die. I'm going to take the initiative to grow because it's what I owe you and it's what I owe him. And in doing so, we submit to one another even as we submit to the Lord. Meaning you're not always right and neither am I. And God places people in your life who have a set of experiences that you don't so that you don't have to learn every lesson the hard way. Some people honestly have the spirit of stubborn stupidity. Well, I got to learn the lesson the hard way. Why? Well, I got to touch the stove to see if it's hot. I'm telling you it's hot. Well, I just got to learn myself. Now, that's the language of a person who's living an unsubmitted life. Now, I want to trust that God's placed people in my life who are going to help me grow in wisdom, favor, stature with God and with men. I look out over this crowd today and I see the unlimited potential of God who's placed his hand on each and every one of you. And my invitation to you is to not allow the corporate growth of this church to overshadow the responsibility for the individual growth of its members. We have a responsibility to grow. I do, you do, we do, and as we make those commitments to go deep, God honors us, watch, by growing wide. This is the season we're in. We're gonna grow in revival. It's always been in me. It's always been in you. It's always been in this region. Hear me, revival isn't growing, we're growing. We are growing into the already established reality of his kingdom advancing on earth. I don't need more of God. He needs more of me. Let's grow up in this thing. And in doing so, see our lives and communities and families forever transformed. Call, stand with me as we close. Spirit of God is here this morning. Wow. <laughs> He's here. God is so much better than we deserve. Really. I promise you. I promise you, friend. He's here today. Come on, can you feel it? Can you feel that invitation in the atmosphere to come up higher? Can you sense it this morning? He's here. He's willing to do an incredible work in your life. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask that you would do your best work in and through each and every one of us. And God, we commit in this moment, we are responding to the invitation to grow. There's more for me. There's more for us. There's more for this community. There's more for my family. There's more for my sphere of influence. So we are going to grow. Because if even Jesus grew, then what's our excuse? God, today we commit to a lifelong pursuit of who you are. We'll give you all the praise. We'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the honor, both now and forever, in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you're here today and you want prayer before you leave, I'm going to invite you to the altars.
I'd sure love to add my faith to yours to see God work a miracle in your life. Every week we see miracles, healings, baptisms, salvations. I'd love to see that for you. If you need prayer for any reason before you leave, why don't you make your way to the altar? Let's pray. Let's agree in faith together. If not, God bless. We'll see a lot of you guys tomorrow, 6 p.m. for Pursuit Night, and even more of you next week for service, 9, 10, 30, and noon. Look forward to having you. God bless. We'll see you soon.